This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. We got a little surprise for you tonight! It is so beautiful to see you! To watch me. Yeah! Hey out there live music fans, welcome to First Concert Memories Number 9, the monthly sidecast of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, where we share stories from musicians and artists, fans, podcasters, journalists, anyone who's had their life changed or affirmed by a great rock concert. And this show today, folks, is really, really special. We've got a special guest in Brian Colburn, who is a friend of ours. He is a fellow member of the Pantheon podcast family, has a great show called My Weekly Mixtape, which you should check out. And he's been in this business for a long time. He's a real pro. He lives in greater New York. He's been to a lot of concerts. However, he's going to share a very special night with Blues Traveler. Now, even if you're not a big Blues Traveler fan, I think you're going to love this show because not so much the band that played and what they played, but so much when they played. And that's December 16th, 2001 at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City. That's right, about three months after 9-11, where people are still trying to process this. They're grieving for their lost friends and loved ones. They're worried about what might happen next. The mood of the country was strong, yet still anxious. And people weren't really sure what to feel three months later. Sure, that first week, you're angry, you're defiant, you're sad. But after three months, is it okay to laugh again? Is it okay to go have a little bit of fun on the weekend? Is it okay to sing along to songs that you love? That's what everyone's kind of grappling with, especially in New York City at the end of 2001. So Brian's going to take us back to that time in the city at the Roseland for the first time that he ever saw Blues Traveler live. And it's an amazing story. We can't wait to share it with you. Quickly, we got a little bit of business. We'd love to mention we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, as is Brian. Over 100 shows, music-related. There really is something in there for everyone. You can check out PantheonPodcast.com or follow at PantheonPods on socials. And you've got to visit RareVinyl.com, guys. They're our sponsor, and they've been so good to us. And a lot of people want to know, hey, how can we help the show? We do have a shop where you can buy t-shirts and stickers and tumblers and things like that. You can find that from our Twitter page. But the best way for you is to go to RareVinyl.com, find some kind of pristine first edition or import or 
picture disc or rare single that you can't find anywhere else and at checkout put in code ugly it'll save you 10 percent. now it's a one-time code so don't just go buy one seven inch for 10 quid and save yourself a buck go find something rare go find a lot of something's rare there's no limit on it you buy that 2,000 quid led zeppelin one rare edition you can save a couple of hundred quid on that just by typing in the code ugly when you check out and that helps our show and it helps your record collection and the folks at rare vinyl are amazing they will ship all over the world they do a lot to curate these things and get them to you in great shape so visit rarevinyl.com save yourself 10 percent by using the code ugly this episode is really special and it's a glowing example of why we wanted to do first concert memories in the first place it's how a rock concert can really change your life or provide you relief when you need it most. It's not just music. It's not just entertainment. It's not just a date. It's something that can feed your soul and change your emotions, even change your life. So let's get to it. We're talking to our buddy Brian Colburn of my weekly mixtape about seeing Blues Traveler live in New York City just a few months after 9-11. All right, we are happy and proud to welcome the host of my weekly mixtape and frequent top 10 of the week, Good Pods Music History <laughs> podcast. It's Brian Colbert. Thanks for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to talk some music with you guys tonight. All right, so we, we really appreciate it. You've got a great show. You've had several great shows, which we could talk maybe a little bit about here. You're a pro podcaster. You've been doing this about music for years now. Before we get into the concert and the band that we're going to talk about today, did you grow up in a musical house? Did you have music around you? Did you go to school and like your friends were in this? Like, oh, what's that? How? What kind of lit you up as a young person? I would say my parents and my cousins were the ones that just got me stoked about music every friday night my father would come home and instead of putting on the tv to sit and watch shows at night the tv would get turned off and he would open up the record cabinet and just start pulling out albums and when i was a kid three four years old every like third song or third album that we would put on he would let me pick one so it would be the cars huey lewis in the news then the muppet movie soundtrack or alvin <laughs> and the chipmunks right and when I put on, let's say, Alvin and the Chipmunks, for example, I had the Chipmunk Punk record. And the first song on it is Tom Petty's Refugee. So oh, then my wow. father would go, oh, you like that one, don't you? And he would go grab Damn the Torpedoes and put nice. that on. So it was a way for me to be like, oh, I didn't realize that Alvin's song was sung by somebody else. And then my cousins, every time I went over there, they always had, they had, I'm going back to the eighties, the big Sony tower set up with mm. the floor standing speakers in their bedroom. And I was, you know, at the time I was a little runt. So those speakers were about my height. Yeah. And it was all this amazing music that they would blast in my face of between ACDC, Iron Maiden, Cheap Trick, Metallica. So by the time I got to school, in kindergarten when they would do show and tell or show and share is what they call it now for my kids people would bring in toys but i would bring in albums and i I'll, i specifically remember in kindergarten my mom got a phone call that i was bringing in inappropriate things to show and tell <laughs> oh boy 
because it's not good for a classroom of kindergartners to listen to If You Want Blood, You've Got It by ACDC. <laughs> and my mom said, why? It's a great song. I, I, don't, I don't see the problem here. <laughs> so that's what kind of kick-started it off. And then growing up, I was obsessed with the radio, obsessed with DJs. I would always be the kid calling in, trying to get on the air. Nice. And I'd, I'd say the five or ten times it happened on Z100 in New York were like hearing my voice come through my stereo was one of the most amazing things. So I went into radio as a career. And then from there, believe it or not, when I get done with work, I come home and then do radio for podcasting for fun. Yep. Because I still just love it that much. Good for you. That's awesome. It also sounds like you had awesome parents and awesome cousins. So that's a benefit. You know, I was kind of like, I won't say I wasn't my own. My dad had some killer old records, but my mom kind of like Ann Murray and like the Eagles was as rocking as she got. And, like, eh. and I was the oldest of all the cousins. Jackson was the oldest of all the kids. So we, we kind of had to find it from MTV mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, from our friends and, and then we kind of went from there. Yeah. My mom was all about Pat Benatar. That was her go-to. So Basically, if you were late 70s, early 80s, Fleetwood Mac rumors, she told me countless times, she goes, if you ever find that you have a connection with Fleetwood Mac's rumors, I apologize. (laughs) And I said, why is that? She said, we got the album six months before you were born. And I just listened to the album every single night before bed with headphones on. So that is ingrained in your DNA before you were even born. That's the way you've got to do it. Amen, right? <laughs> I love right. that album, by the way. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? The story makes it even better. Yeah, and I was singing to my daughter in the womb, like, I've got to get this. Your mother likes that country crap. I've got to get this in you now <laughs> before she even knows what's going on. Did you uh, Did you pass this down to your kids? My hope is to always pass it down to my kids. Mm-hmm. I allow them to listen to whatever they want on their own because obviously, you know, my youngest right now is in fifth grade, so it's all kind of the kids bop but moving out of the kids bop into the real artists so she's exploring the pop avenue of things my oldest who's 15 is all about drake dr dre taylor swift is a huge one however they also come to see the interrupters with me they come to see blackberry smoke with me I i took them to see lamb of god i said the one thing you're getting out of me is a musical education. You don't have to like every one of these bands, right. but you'll have you'll be able to go to college and say you experienced all different types of music, so that way you can have a musical conversation with anybody. And if you're able to do that, you can like what you like and enjoy what you enjoy, but at least I have kind of given them a palette to choose from. Mm, Good absolutely. for you. Yeah, that's the way to keep rock alive for the next generation. All right, well, let's get into this a little bit. We have these 20 just incredibly well thought out questions for research that were really kind of put a spin on it. I'm joking. These are just ridiculous <laughs> little questions. Gary and I came up with one day. Yeah, so we worked hard, hard on this, this for like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you spent a minute per question. Wow. All right. <laughs> I feel like, I feel, I feel like it's like back being back in the dorm, like when we were passing a joint and it took us two hours <laughs> to do the simplest task. It's like, what is wrong with us? Just what do you want to know about these things? All right. And the first five are kind of that basic kind of sixth grade civics, who, what, where, when, why kind of thing. And you already sent these to us, but I want you to share with us the date of the show, the venue, city, the artist, band, and then the tour if it's, if it's applicable, or at least what album they may have been touring on 
Sure. The date, December 16th, 2001. The venue, Roseland Ballroom, the defunct, no longer there, Roseland Ballroom, rest in peace. New York City, the band, Blues Traveler, the tour, I'm just going to call it the Bridge Tour because I don't think it was officially named, to be perfectly honest. I think sure. they just went out on the album cycle and just kind of did the tour for that album. Makes sense, yeah. Okay, so the date is obvious and city. I mean, you're talking three and a half months after nine, well, three months really after 9 11 in the city. Mm -hmm. We've got to get into that. First, I want to go to the venue, Roseland. <sighs> is it Roseland like it used to be kind of a grand place and then it kind of turned into a dive? I mean, you, you saw the cult there a couple times in New Jackson. Correct. Yeah, back in, I think it was 99. And yeah, I think it, ha it in its heyday, it was a big time deal. When I got there, it was a kind of falling apart dump. But I still say to even today, that was one of the best sounding shows I ever heard. So it it was a it had a really nice atmosphere. It was kind of a dumpy, clubby feel at that point in time. Yeah, the venue, the look of it looks like they hadn't updated it in a <laughs> long time. But the yeah. thing they did do that Jackson mentions. They invested money at the time into a decent sound system in there. Mm -hmm. So all of the shows that I saw there were ones that in my mind sounded amazing. I saw Deftones and Incubus on a joint tour there. I've seen Mo there, Modest Yahoo. The biggest name I ever saw there was Metallica. They did the live from Roseland Ballroom MTV broadcast when Garage wow. 8 came out. Oh, cool. And we were at that show again. As good as it sounded on MTV, being there, it was so clean and so clear. I think that's why I love the venue so much, because I never had a bad sounding show. And there's other venues I've been to that look incredible. You're like, wow, I can't believe how amazing this venue looks. And then when the band comes, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, God, this place sucks. Yeah, and I never got that. I never got that from Roseland. Yeah, that that's cool. You know, yeah, I mean, when the Stones went out on 40 Licks, where they kind of did in cities, they would do a theater and then the arena and then the football stadium. For New York, they picked the Roseland. Yep. I remember Jackson be like, the Roseland, man, why they do that? <laughs> well, the reason is because they did have a good sound system. Like, they're not going to go someplace that sounds shitty. They might go to a place that looks run down. That's okay. But they're not going to sound bad. That's not an option, you know, so... Yeah, I feel like that was part of the charm, though. It was one of those places where it was just, it was like that comfortable pair of jeans that you just don't <laughs> want to wash, but you're, but because they're so damn comfortable and you just kind of see as long as you could stretch it. That was the Roseland Ballroom. It didn't look good, but it, it was like comfort food for a venue. And if I remember correctly, I don't think there were seats. I think no. it was just it was just open, right? And you kind yeah, of just, just get in where you fit in there. Cram yourself in yeah. there. I'll tell you this much. My friend to this day, I went uh, with two people to see that Deftones Incubus show I had mentioned. And my friend who's now married to this woman that the three of us went together. And she actually got lifted up off the ground during Incubus' set. And she had a panic attack in air. And at the time, I was still just getting done playing football. I was about 100 pounds heavier. 315 my buddy said i'll never forget you grabbed her by the back of the shirt and kind of just like flicked your wrist and pulled her through 50 people and then you made like this <laughs> offensive lineman block and and you parted the crowd like the red sea so that way we can get her out of the because it was it was one of those pits where everybody was pushing forward mm. so it was just kind of that thing where you're swaying in the in the room 
And that was the one thing that if they overpack the Roseland, it could be anxiety inducing for mm. some. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Put it mildly. Absolutely. Right. All right. So I still want to get into the 9 11 thing, but as far as Blues Traveler goes, had you followed them since like their first record, you know, like since you were in high school or whatever, or did it, you pick it up later? Like, when did you get into those guys? I was a fan of them in high school and in college, but I was a fan of their albums. I had mm. never seen them live until this night. I had every one of their CDs because at the time you had, I was introduced to them when a lot of people were mainstream with Run Around, Hook, Mountains Win Again. So but from I'm the, the fourth person, album. Yes. Okay. And I got through that album and I'm like, well, this album's amazing. It's called Four. There must be three others. And I went right back to the music store and bought everything they had. Yes. And then went on to straight on till morning and bridge. And I know we're going to talk to how the, the, how you got to the show a little later. So let's just say this was not something that was planned out very far in advance, given the situation around nine 11, <laughs> we, we had no idea if these shows were happening, not happening. Everything was completely up in the air, up in the, the air. Yeah, no, good period. call. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and I was talking to Jackson before I got it because in 1990, when the first album came out, I had a friend who i lived with a lot of the time had an older sister she's four years older than us so when we're in high school she's in college and she comes back with the first blues traveler album and she played it and she played it and she played it i'm like and at first i'm like this is good this is different this is cool and then she left but she left the record behind and then my <laughs> buddy played it and played it and played it and i'm like okay this is good but we i feel like we've heard it the next day he played it i'm like okay dude we gotta stop <laughs> but then i'm in college with jackson when hook and run around come out and, and you know it's I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember those guys. Yeah, he's got the, the big guy who, who can rip that harmonica. That's really cool. I'm glad to see they're doing well now because the 90s were a very weird time for music. I, I call them the worst decade of our lifetimes for really? music. Kind of easily because I, I still don't like grunge. The first time I heard Nirvana, I'm like, well, they suck. And I haven't <laughs> changed my mind at all. And and grunge was horrible, and it kind of took all the rock stardom out of it. Like, they don't dress like rock stars. They dress like bombs, and, and they... They aren't that talented, not all of them anyway. Some of them maybe, but but not all of them. Meanwhile, over in the UK, cool Britannia's going on, you know? You've got like the Ferv, you got the Oasis just killing it, you know? And I'm like, that's just better than what we have, you know? I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go into deeper 70s rock that I don't know that well during this decade. It'll come back to me eventually, which it kind of did. But anyway, let's, let's get back to the 9-11 part of this. So obviously... That's a game changer for everything. Where are you living on 9-11? I was in New Jersey, not to get too dark with the story, but I worked in radio in New York City on 9-11, and I was on a bus turning to head into the Lincoln Tunnel when the first plane hit. So I was literally wow. right across the water looking out a window, seeing everything unfold. And they closed the tunnel after the first plane hit and redirected traffic. They said, okay, everybody, we're turning the bus around and going back the same route we came and dropping everybody off. And by the time we got to Sea Caucus going over the bridge, the, everything was coming down. Falling down? So, my goodness. So, I mean, I saw it with my own eyes. I wasn't in the city, but it was just, it's something that I'll probably never get over. And at the time, texting was not really a thing. Right. It was, it was cell phones and they were mostly down, but we were just spending the whole day trying to get in touch with all of our friends working in radio making sure everybody was safe and from that point on i think that friday night i was able to get back in to the station to go to work and from that point on every time you headed in 
to the city, it came with this pause every time you went into the Lincoln Tunnel. It was the first time I'll say harrowing. I was just beside myself. I can only imagine. But as the month and second month went on, there was this feeling around the city that people wanted to come together for positive things. And venues started continuing with shows and trying to bring things back to life per se in the, city. Mm-hmm. in the city. And this was the first event that my buddies and I said, let's do this. Let's, let's go to the city and let's have some fun for a change. Good. Let's, let's turn this thing around. And this was the night of that. We literally, it was at five o'clock. I was going through the Aquarian newspaper that they had in North Jersey. And I was going through and I was like, Roseland ballroom. I'm like, Oh, blues travelers playing. I called my buddies up and said, Hey, blues travelers playing in like three hours at the Roseland ballroom. <laughs> I got nothing going on. It's a Sunday night. I'll, I'll pick go. you up in 20. Let's go. And they said, yeah, what the hell? Let's do it. And that's, that's how it all came together. It was literally a spur of the moment. Oh, they're playing. We got something to do tonight. Nice. Thank goodness. Huh? Yeah. So just to go off topic a little bit here, Jax, I mean, where were you? Were you in Texas when that happened? San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. I was actually, cause we were an hour behind. So I was on my way to work and yeah, it was, it was, you know, a plane hit the building and like, what? what? No, come on. That's, that's weird. And then I got there and somebody had a TV on and we figured out. And so, so like you, I'm trying to get in touch with everybody that I know in New York because I'm from Connecticut. So I knew, you know, probably 10 or 15 people that worked in and around Manhattan. And I'm just trying mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, what's going on? Are they safe? Were you even there? Uh, luckily, most of the people that I knew were bums and didn't show up early anyway. So they kind of lucked out there. But yeah, it was it, it was the day I'll never forget. Never forget that ever in my life. No, no. Yeah. I guess for me to share, I was in Florida. I was at my dad's place in Florida. I had worked in investment banking for two years and they just didn't give you vacation time, you know, those first couple of years. And I was at that age when everyone was getting married. And so I had to use eight of my 14 vacation days, you know, for, for weddings or nine of them, something that year. And I had to use a few to go home to see my dad for holidays. Like I never had a week's vacation. And so even though there was some stuff going on, I was in investment banking, but I'm living in the Midwest. And so you have to go to New York on a regular basis for that. And they had this thing called Rush Week, which used to be a bigger deal, I guess, but it had kind of died off. And it was happening that week of September. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to, I, I need a vacation. I don't want to just go to New York and work and not get that much business. I want to go on vacation. I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to see my buddies for business school. We'll go to a football game. It'll be great. And, and I still have the invite. They had stuff at Tower 2, 9.30 a.m. on the 12th. I wouldn't have been there on the 11th, but I would have, you know, I was supposed to go on the 12th. I still have the invite. I keep it as a reminder, like, aren't you glad you didn't go to New York that week? Because I wouldn't have been there, but still I would have been in the city scared out of my mind. Yeah. But my dad had to come rouse me because I had been out with buddies the night before who I hadn't seen in a while. And so what? it's 9.15 and it's all over the news or whatever. He's like, are you watching this? Wake up, sack. You know, because like, I'm like hungover. I'm like, I'm finally on vacation. I'm like, wake up. I'm like, hmm, what? Huh? And then, yeah, I, I found out. By the way, no sun that week because there was a terrible tropical storm in Northeast Florida, which for some reason didn't get a lot of press coverage that week. I'm not exactly sure why. There must have been something else going on, I guess. But anyway, yeah. And they canceled the football game. So I was screwed on that too. So yeah, it was pretty horrible 
all around. But being there, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people. I've worked with a lot of people. I've worked with some people who were in those towers. It's not something you just kind of put out of your mind. And, and then like uh, the Kennedy assassination, everyone's like, oh, isn't it so horrible? But some people didn't like Kennedy. It's just one person really who got killed. We didn't really see the tape. So many people saw this happen live in and around the city, saw it happen. Not to mention they're broadcasting it. Oh, look, they're both on fire. Oh, no, wait, now, boom, you know, one collapses and it wasn't long before the other. I'm like, this is the scariest thing in the whole world. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's an absolute nightmare. And I, I still every time I think about it, I get gutted. And there was almost a feeling of guilt and confusion in the room as are we allowed to have fun tonight? Mm -hmm. Are we allowed to enjoy this is now I'm talking about. December 16th, uh, yeah. 16th people were there but there was this weird aura in the in the Roseland before the show started people were talking but you could just tell it was an uncomfortable vibe for some people like mm -hmm. you know, are, are we allowed to enjoy life again you're right what you were talking about before about you know New York not giving up like I know New York gets a lot of crap from people you know New Yorkers are they're loud they're obnoxious but they don't give up and that, no. I know that was a big thing. The people that I knew there were like, we are not giving in. We're not leaving the city. We, this nope. is our home. We are not giving up. And so there's, a, there's, like I said, I'm not from New York, but I'm New York adjacent. And I always kind of felt that, you know, I, I, I feel you on that. And I went to the, years later, I went to the uh, Freedom Tower when they put it up. And if that doesn't bring a tear to your eye, there's something wrong with you. Every single time, yeah. every single time. It's, it's, it's impossible. I, 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 every time I see it, it's just, unbelievable and that night a lot of things happened with the band and the show that centered around coming together from 9-11 which is a very dark theme but the show is such a positive moment in my life because music was a way to kind of help the room at the time heal yeah a and to me that was something i had never seen at a concert before but prior to this night i'd gone to a concert i've seen live music get played i loved seeing the bands play the songs i sang along the concert ended we went home this was the first time that music was almost a spiritual experience mm. wow because of the room coming together and some of the things we'll talk about during the show in a little bit here Hi, this is Mick Wall, and you are listening to the ugly American werewolf in London. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 
and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's Factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, uh, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, that's fair enough. So you drove you drove everybody there, right? Yes. And then, so you didn't have much of a pregame. It was kind of like, hey, in three hours, they're going to play. Let's just get to, I'll, like you said, I'll pick you up in 30 minutes and we'll go, right? So you weren't just like jamming the music all day or like having a few beers, get ready. You're just like, yep, get dressed, go. Spur of the moment. We By the time we got in, got through the Lincoln Tunnel, parked, walked around to the venue, we, we were within like 40 minutes of showtime. So it gotcha. was a... That it was literally get right to the event and let's get going. And who was the opening act that night? Michael Franti and Spearhead. And what did you know about Michael Franti and Spearhead? At the time, absolutely <laughs> nothing. And I love that fact because they blew my freaking mind as an really? opening act. They were so much fun. People were up and they did not want a single person not moving in that crowd. And they did everything they could to make sure every person in the Roseland ballroom had a smile on their face. They did a gorgeous cover of the Beatles. Here comes the sun in tribute to everything that had happened. And then their music was just so infectious, so upbeat, so lively. As soon as their set was done, they closed with a song called Sometimes, which is still my favorite Michael Franti song. I immediately went to the merch table and bought the CD. 
right then and there and put it in my back pocket for the rest of the evening. Nice. I wasn't leaving without that album. That was a must. To make your home today. Good for you. And you heard it. You're like, yes, that's good stuff. I'm supporting them right now. Yeah. A hundred percent. I said, I hope it's more money than you would pay in a record store because <laughs> that money's going right to the band and they deserve it. That, yeah. I've always felt that way that if a CD at a concert is $15, but you can get it on Amazon for 10, I'd much rather give that extra $5 to the artist because yep. the hope is that's going to help that artist make more music for me to enjoy down the road. Mm. absolutely no you bet uh now i still don't know much about michael frante but i saw him open for steve winwood once mm. when i was in the front row in nashville and it was outdoors so after michael got done he kind of went down to about the 10th row and he walked through and he shook everyone's hand and then he went to the ninth row and and shook it and he's passing out picks and then he gets up to the and of course there's a lot of girls like ah, michael you know i'm like yeah good for you man that's awesome and then he gets down to me in the front row he's like how do you get to sit up front here and it was basically one of those bizarre things like the day before the show i was just yeah well let's see if there are any tickets because it's a three-hour drive i'm like yeah i don't know if i'm gonna go just tickets front row and basic price they're not like marked up or whatever there's no dynamic pricing it's just like if it was 75 bucks the day it went on it's 75 bucks right now i'm like wow no, no way it happens when people who get them for free decide they're not gonna go and they kind of put them back in i got to see judas priest in the front row that way once but it's like come on honey we're going to nashville tonight we're gonna be in the front row for steve winwood who we both loved and then i'm like all right let's see what michael's all about and i like you at the time didn't know anything about him and i'm like wow he puts on a hell of a show and then he was a super nice guy you know a lot of mm -hmm. charisma on that guy i will I don't know if I should get to this now because one of the questions later on is post-concert festivities, but we might want to put a little pin in the Michael Franti discussion for now. Let's that's good. He's that. in your back pocket for right now, right? So yes. that's where we are. That's all good. Did you weasel up to the front? Did you kind of find a side spot? Where, where were you in this kind of GA? We were, this was, again, three months after 9-11. The place was packed, but it wasn't jam-packed. So okay. we were right up in front, three or four people back from the stage. Wow. How was the sound that night? Incredible. Every yeah. Roseland experience I ever had, the sound was just perfect. And the thing I love about it is there's actually a soundboard of Michael Franti's set on the Internet Music Archive. So I was able to download that and relive that exact concert anytime I want. And Beautiful. Loose Traveler used several of the songs from that evening's set on their live album, What You and I Have Been Through. So I got to see some live album tracks get recorded. Wow, that is always awesome. That is always super awesome. Seriously. And I've been to a couple shows maybe that either it was recorded for a live album or part of it was. You know, they, they don't just take one show anymore. They kind of Frankenstein together the very yes. best bits over maybe five or six nights or whatever. But I'm like, it's such a no-brainer. If they recorded it live, you've got to get the live album. Uh -huh. Side question, what do you think? Because Blues Traveler famously lets their people tape those yeah. shows. And of course, I grew up with the dead doing that kind of stuff. And I remember I went to see the Allman Brothers and they have like an instant live thing. Like you can go ahead and buy it. 
you can wait for it after the show. That might take an hour, or you can pay five bucks and have it mail it to you in a couple of weeks or whatever it is. And I'm like, why doesn't absolutely everyone do this? And I'm like, well, it's because some people really aren't that good live <laughs> and they don't want all that out there. But I don't feel like Blues Traveler is probably one of those bands. I have, I want to say, 10 Blues Traveler instant live CDs that I would buy at the shows. They were 20, 20 or 25 bucks for a two CD set of the show. No brainer. Saw. I didn't even, I would buy the set before they went on. Absolutely. Like, I knew what they were about to bring to the stage and they never brought anything less than that. So why was I, it was, it was a no, the best token or souvenir that you could bring home from a concert is the fact that you could relive that concert anytime you want. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely, man. Yeah. That's awesome. And yes, <laughs> blues traveler has 1500 items on the internet music. Archive. <laughs> <laughs> One and a half terabytes if you're interested out there, folks. So there's lots of good stuff out there. That's cool. So, all right, Michael got the people moving, right? Say, I know this has been a tough time. You're not going to stand still and listen to me. We're all going to move. We're going to get dancing. You need swaying. Whatever you can do, let's move together. Did the did John Popper lead that kind of thing? Or was it more matter of fact, like, we're just going to come out here and kick ass and you're going to love it? Or what was, what was the mood from the big band? The band came out on stage and... John Popper started playing the Jimi Hendrix version of the Star Spangled Banner on harmonica. Wow. Okay. All it took is that sentence and the hair on my arms <laughs> is standing up. That version is on the What You and I Have Been Through album. You could hear a pin drop in the room. It just froze everybody. And then when that was done, they went into the first song and everybody just erupted. And it was such a moment. It's good to be home. I'm sure we all know who this is for. I know he's played that song for decades he's done the star spangled banner at live sure. events and at baseball games and what have you this was different this was the first time a new york city band was back in new york city after 9 11 and this is how they came out on stage to me that was the first thing i had ever heard blues traveler do live and i'm like is somebody cutting onions in the in the <laughs> roseland right now like what is happening here why am i crying everyone's crying yeah. everybody it was just a beautiful beautiful moment and i've always been so thankful for that because that moment was cathartic in the entire venue and then when they went into the upbeat music coming out of it the place just let loose and it was on like a party of just epic proportions i think they played for two and a half hours between the two sets started wow. to bump at that point right it's like everyone's like okay thank goodness let's just enjoy life for a little while let's forget about the horror you're right people grieve differently like are we allowed to be happy sometimes you'll be at wakes and people will be crying but then people on the other side are laughing because they're remembering the good times with that person right mm-hmm 
Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's it's a tough thing. You can't really police it. Everybody kind of has to do it their own way. But then you're in a big room with people. It's like, okay, well, we have to be sensitive of everyone's feelings here. But you got to believe that after three months, it's okay to want to feel good again. It, it's okay to want to get back to some kind of normalcy. Concerts is, have always been, I don't care if you're on top of the world, it's always been a break from whatever's going on in your life, right? It's mm-hmm. it's two hours away from the, the work, the kids, the whatever it is, good and bad in your life. And now everyone needed a break in a big way. A hundred percent. And this was back before you had to watch the concert through the person's cell phone in front of you. Right. There was none of that there. You had a couple of microphone stands in the back by the by the audio board taping, from the right? tapers. Yeah. And I'm fine with that because there are versions on the Internet Music Archive from the tapers that are still on there now. Totally fine. But it was just a different time back then. And people get mad when you go to a show like Tool and they're like, they're telling me I can't pull out my phone. And I said, if you can't go two hours without pulling your phone out of your pocket, like if if the spectacle of a concert and the beauty of a concert and the excitement of a concert can't stop you from looking at your own phone. I know like that to me, I was actually thankful when I had to put my phone in my pocket. I don't like when they make you lock it up in a pouch. That's bullshit. Because for me, I have kids. If they text me an emergency and I got a bolt, I need to, I can't be unlocking stuff (laughs) two hours Uh, later. Oh uh -oh. yeah. I'm 46 (laughs) years old. I need to be able to, be my be a father here yeah but not having all those cell phone lights in the room i was like oh my god this feels like a concert again and uh, so when people complain about it i understand the thought behind why the younger people complain but i also understand why the band wants people to have that experience it's not always we don't want you to record it they're like guys Live in, in the, the moment. moment. Yeah. Yeah. And be respectful of the people around you, you know, obviously yeah. it could be really annoying, but okay. So was the star spangled banner your favorite moment, Brian, or did something build that was bigger? There's two other moments of the concert that really stuck out to me. So the fate that the favorite moment and the favorite song are two different. So I'll go with the favorite moment at the end of the set. They did a song that I love by them called the path. It's a long tune. Okay. And they brought up on stage Radioactive from Spearhead. And he did. Radioactive was a human beatbox. Oh, okay. And he was doing all the, you know, the, the scratching and all the DJ sounds just using his, his, the microphone by his throat and by his mouth. He's incredibly talented. But then as the song started, Blues Traveler brought out on stage. The, they literally packed the stage full of first responders. Oh, boy. Wow firefighters emts and police officers and they said get out here dance your asses off sing along get in the moment with us and everybody Uh was dancing and having fun and yet crying at the same time because it was beautiful these people had spent the last three months going through some of the most gut-wrenching excruciating painful things that they had to do helping this situation and this was giving them a chance to smile and be alive again and it was such a beautiful moment and that song went on for about 15 minutes and then it morphed into a 12 plus minute version i don't remember the times exactly i just i've been to the music archive and looked at the times they did a 12 plus minute cover of bob marley's no woman no cry with michael franti on franti on stage with them 
unbelievable so those two songs was the last half hour of the show and that was just one moment of the two and a half hour concert Okay, so this is being this has got to be the heaviest first concert memories we've ever done, Jackson. This is pretty pretty big time, pretty awesome. We appreciate you shit going deep with us, Brian. Oh, dude, I'm happy. Any, I'm look, I'm always excited to talk about any concert memories, but this one, I had Tad Kinsler, the bassist, the current bassist for Blues Traveler, on my weekly mixtape back in October. Yeah, and I I went, I dove into this show with him. Because I wanted to hear their side of the story because I've had this memory for 23, 22 years at the time. And I wanted to hear their side of the story. And it was so amazing to be able to hear where they were coming from with the thought process behind getting up there and, and, and what it was like for them to be back up on stage in New York. Mm. So it was, it was really awesome two decades later to be able to kind of get the flip side to my experience. And and it's cool too because like it, for most musicians like that, I'm sure if you said, "Hey, I saw you in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 2005," do you remember that show? No, I don't. I don't remember that <laughs> show at all. But if you tell him that, he's like, I, "I'm I'm right there with you again on that night." Yes, it was very much a transcendent mm. experience for the crowd and I think for the band. Yeah. So was the path your number one song? Your favorite song? No. Nope. The, my favorite song was a curveball that we also talked about when he was on my weekly mixtape because I wanted to berate him and the rest of the band for never doing a studio version of this. Oh, third song into the night, the band blasts into the opening of Runaround. The whole beginning, the way you hear it on the album, the first 20 seconds. And okay. right before the song kicks in, Brandon Hill, the drummer, instead of going like that little happy beat, he goes, mm-hmm. do, 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 and he slows the song down, and they kick it into a halftime melodic minor chord progression version of Runaround. So instead of it being this snappy, upbeat, happy <laughs> song, it is now a grungy minor chord progress- progression rocker. And it's called it's called Eft Run. Right. You can figure out what Eft is. I don't know if you guys curse on here a lot. <laughs> it's on setlist.com as fuck run. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. that's the way to that, do it. Yeah. And that's what they call the song. And the way John sings it, it's he changed the melody. And this is the first time I'm ever hearing run around live. And in my brain, I'm thinking I'm expecting the version you know from the radio. Sure. And this was the first time I saw a band take one of their biggest hits and just flip it on its ear and do a total 180 with the song. And to me, that blew my mind as a concert goer. 
because I had always expected to hear what I heard on my CDs. Of course. Performed mm-hmm. by the band. This is the first time I actually saw a band take liberties with their own music. And to me, I was so blown away by the moment. It opened up an entire genre of music to me because I fell in love with jam bands because of that concept. It made me go back and explore Fish and explore Mo and explore the Grateful Dead because here was bands that did this all the time. And it made, it gave me a deeper respect for music that I was very much a, here's the album. I'm expecting to hear the album on stage. This made me go, wait a minute. There's a whole new world I'm missing out here in live music. <laughs> and that's thanks to Blues Traveler for me. That's amazing. Now, do you know, so you've gone down that route. Do you know Stu Allen, like Stu Allen and Mars Hotel? They're kind of a Grateful Dead adjacent band. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Stu Allen and I grew up together. We're the exact same age. We went to school together from kindergarten really? until the eighth grade. And uh, our buddies always joke like Stu is almost famous. Like in the jam band world, he is. He's not almost. He's the band, you know. But as far as the general public goes, you know, they they don't know him that well. But I remember being at a party at his house freshman year. He was playing, you know, like some cream stuff on his guitar. And it's like, oh, wow, he's already playing cream. He's only 14. Man, that's, that's cool. I wish I could do that. Yeah. Good for him. Now he's now he's Stu Allen. I'm George Capitalis. This is my good brother, Terry Reed. Right. When you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. In London. Right. All right, so here's one that can be, there's usually not many, if, if they're disappointments, they're minor disappointments, but what would be the biggest disappointment on the night? The biggest disappointment for me was that the show, <laughs> this is going to sound so first world problems of me, but the show was only t- <laughs> only two and a half hours yeah, long. Yeah, you would have stayed all night, yeah. It, they could have played for five hours. I was yeah. so in that concert. It was just one of the most memorable nights. And the fact is, it just wasn't long enough for me. I wish it went longer. And I know that's a real, like, I'm picking hairs with that one. No, that's honest. You know, that's honest. And the thing is, if you've seen them 12 times, there's going to be a biggest disappointment somewhere. Like, they didn't play this, or the sound was off for half the thing, or... You know, somebody spilled my beer or whatever, you know, but this is kind of a different kind of concert in your life. This isn't just going to see a band. This was at a just historic, horrific time in the world. And being a New Yorker and a greater New Yorker, God, I mean, I'm just glad that you finally and everybody there finally got a little bit of relief on that night. Sounds like Blues Traveler really delivered for you there. A hundred percent. Yeah. Have you seen them again? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think we're at somewhere between 15 and 20 times since then we've seen them. Okay. And was this one still just number one easily of all time? The funniest part is there are two other shows that I've seen from them that are not on the same level because the spiritual part of that show, I don't think could ever, and I don't want it to ever be replicated because that would mean something else horrible would need to happen. So that was like a once in a lifetime moment, lightning in a bottle per se. That's right. However, June second, two thousand nine, at the Bergen Performing Arts Center in Englewood, that show means the world to me because I was the opening act for Blues Traveler that night. What? Oh. So 
that one is special to me to the, to my left over here i have the set list and some pictures with the band and the show up on my wall that's a very special night for me and that night i've got the signed set list from the band i was saying to john popper my daughter is still she's not even a year old right now and i wanted her to be here tonight and my wife and my parents and everybody were team let's leave the baby home <laughs> and I lost. And and John said to me, he's like, don't worry, we'll 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 get her out here eventually. And I said, You you bet your ass we will. December 29th, 2014, at the State Theater in New Brunswick, New Jersey was my daughter's first concert. And I emailed John on Facebook and told him I opened for you in 2009 and I asked about my daughter going and bringing her to her first concert. And I was able to snag front row tickets. If you could wow. just like wave to her or something, it would make my world because it's kind of a full circle moment from when I opened for you in 2009. First song of the night, at the end of the night, he squatted down and handed my daughter a harmonica. Oh, cool. And at the first break, because Blues Traveler does sections where songs are all chunked together. Oh, sure. At the first break in the music, he actually told the whole audience that it was her first concert. <laughs> and at the end of the night, <laughs> Brendan came down, gave her the set list. They gave her picks drumsticks so here she is leaving this concert at like six years old holding drumsticks <laughs> a harmonica a set list and to this day i said to her that that's never happened to me in my life that'll never happen to you again that was a very <laughs> right. rare thing you you left with like half the stage <laughs> unbelievable well what was your band huh I, it was just me it was a, I, a solo acoustic i went on okay. and did five songs brian colburn i have music up on spotify title all the different places i haven't gotcha. put out an album in 12 years but my last album was forever was worth the wait and i played some songs from that and it was it was absolutely i'm sorry forever i 2009 i opened for them that was actually my time marches on album forever okay. was worth the wait was three years later you see how time it all it, it all blurs together especially once you have kids yeah yeah absolutely no Bill Burr had a great bit where he's like, look, man, you learn as much as you can. And then all of a sudden you've got kids and then you're sucked into that, you know, and mm -hmm. you don't know what's going on. There could be wars going on. There could be civil unrest. There's culture is changing and you have no knowledge of it because all you're doing is trying to keep those kids off the street, like trying to keep them <laughs> on the right path. So it's like, if you've got three of them, suddenly it's been 25 years. You're like, whoa. What happened? What, yeah, what, what, what happened? What I miss? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let me go put on some of my music. Maybe that'll get me back in the mood. You know, because it's been so long <laughs> since what you did was cool. You know, that's why yeah. I podcast. This is my weekly time to kind of ground myself because I, I literally tell people talking music with others is my therapy. So this grounds me so that way I could be a better father. This gives me a chance to relax. This is my break. Celebrating and talking music with people is something I just get a lot of joy from. So this is how I keep myself grounded for my kids. While they're at basketball practice, I'm sitting here talking music with you fine gentlemen. So <laughs> good for you, brother. Good for you. No, I'm for me it's like I I got inspired by Jerry Seinfeld. He's like, uh, Jerry, will you go, why don't you do another show? Or why don't you go make movies? Or, you know, uh, whatever you want to do. He's like, look, all I want to do, I don't like talking to normal people. I only really like talking to comedians. And that's who I want to talk to about comedy. 
So fine, I'll do a show. It's me talking to comedians with all these cool cars that I like because he's a big car collector. Yep, and yep. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I'm going to talk about music with Jackson. That's all I really want to do. All I need is Seinfeld's money, and this show will explode. <laughs> so one well, big if you, hurdle, if you, but that's fine. <laughs> I was going to say, if you get that Seinfeld money, if you could throw a little bit towards my weekly mixtape, I'd appreciate oh, yeah. that. You know, just a little I, bit, just a, you know, a, a pittance. <laughs> absolutely no for all the reviews on good pods and the the likes on social media yes it will be distributed based on how much love you have shown us over the years don't worry <laughs> jackson's keeping score <laughs> the keeper of the records all right so well look the fun has to end you say thank you to all the first responders thank you to john popper and the boys you don't really want to go home but you kind of have to so what's uh, what do you do after the show here on december 16th well, we all had class the next morning. I want to say it was like the last couple of days of class before Christmas break at the time. December okay. 16th, it was like right it's gotta in that be, area. Yeah. So we walked to the car, went around the block to go to our parking garage and head back to the head back to Jersey. This was probably 11.30, 11.45 at night. Yeah. And this is where I'm going to pull the pin out of the Michael Franti story. Michael Franti and Spearhead were loading up the van right next to the parking garage that we were going into. So we stopped and we shot the shit with Michael Franti and Spearhead behind the Roseland. Like, uh, I think Holy it was shit. like 50, 55th Street or wherever we were parked. And this is a story that I can only tell, and I have no proof of this, but Michael Franti's always barefoot. He was barefoot on stage. Mm. And here we are, December of 2001, so it's cold out, and he is barefoot on a New York City street. <laughs> and I'll never forget it, because my buddy elbowed me, and Pete, and he looks down, and he's like, dude's not, not weird. I'm like, shut up, dude. Like, so we're talking <laughs> music. Don't make this weird. <laughs> and uh, telling him how much we love the show, and how like we're talking about the experience, and, and just everything surrounding the event they were so cool like they stopped what they were doing and just chatted it up with us for about 10 minutes every guy in the band signed my copy of the cd i still have it downstairs killer and that's a story that there was no cell phone we couldn't take a selfie and, and and capture the moment so it's captured in our minds and now documented in this episode but i'll never forget michael franti barefoot on the streets <laughs> of new york city in the middle of winter and it was just like he had a pair of sneakers. Didn't even phase him. Well, I mean, forget the cold. I mean, what's on the streets? And this is the I, back alleys of New York City. I'm not going back there with those shoes. Are you kidding me? I was, I was uncomfortable walking on New York City streets at one point with sneakers on. Yeah, like, I was man. like, should I put, should I put booties over these things? Like, <laughs> yeah, get those Timberlands, man. You know, they kind of stick out. But I bet they keep your feet safe from yeah rocks and needles and all glass and all yeah. sorts of nasty stuff. Yeah. All right, so I, I feel like I know the answer, but any regrets? Would you see them again now? Oh, I bet it's no and yes. <laughs> yeah, zero regrets. Like, the farthest thing from regret. What's the opposite of regrets? That's what it was. And would I see them again? It's not would, it's when, because mm -hmm. I'm just waiting for them to announce another New Jersey show. It's become kind of a tradition. I like bringing the entire family now. Do we get all the way up front with them? Maybe not. We grab seats in the theater, depending on where they're playing. Okay. Because, you know, I just sometimes down in front there's you know, the alcohol's flowing. People are dancing, having fun. Some people get a little obnoxious. I like to yep. keep my kids away from that. 
because mm, if yep. somebody knocks into my 10 or 11 year old and knocks her over, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. So I try like ease them into it. You know what I'm saying? Let them e ease them into the concert experience. Absolutely. No, that's cool. Well, so I didn't know how active they still were. Uh, did they still tour every year? Pretty much every year. Yeah, the last two years they've put out Traveler's Blues, which was a covers album of all blues songs. And last year they released Traveler's Soul, which is a second covers album of all soul music. And then Tad explained, again, not to be self-shamelessly promoting, but on the episode that he came on, explained that there's a third in the series. They just haven't decided the genre they're going to tackle yet. So Traveler's it could be... Metal. I was going to say it could be Traveler's Death Metal, Traveler's Ska Punk, <laughs> Traveler's Country, Traveler's, I don't know, Dubstep. I don't know. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully not the last one. Hey, I'd like to see it. Why not? <laughs> see what they could do, right? Well, that's an amazing story of a very special night in your life, Brian. And it's really cool that you would come on and share that with us and stir some emotions that, you know, stuff you don't think about every day, but think about it because of that night now. Yeah. Not only did you get to then open for Blues Travelers, which is also amazing, but now it is a family thing, right? You, you want to bring everybody to come see this band that had brought life back to you in a big way. You know, I mean, you're, you're on the radio, you're in the industry and then the most horrible thing in the world happens. And, and you're like, God, does it even matter what I do anymore? You know, is it, you know, I'm not an EMT, right? You know, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a firefighter. I'm not putting my life at risk. I'm talking on the radio. But then you're like, yes, this is why. This is why it all, everything we do matters in some way. That it does. And it's kind of the reason I continue podcasting. It's kind of that celebration of music and celebration of artists that I admire or that have had a profound impact on me. But I'm also the kind of person that when I explain how I feel about music to people that aren't music fanatics, mm. I definitely get the eyebrow raise. I get yeah. the, you know, are you feeling okay type thing? Because to me, music is not just some notes playing in the background it's something that i connect with on a level that's a lot different than most people it's it's yep. beyond a geek level it's a it's something that i can change my mood instantly by putting on a playlist of songs if i'm sad i can help myself become happy through the power of music if i want to be reflective if i want to relax if i want to get psyched up for a workout i can use music to really guide me in whatever direction I want. And that's something that a lot of people don't have that connection. And I'm hoping to bring that connection to more people that might see music in a new way through what we, through these conversations that I have on your show and what I do on my weekly mixtape. And that's why we do it too, my brother. I mean, mm. Jax and I can only talk so much to each other. It's like we, and nobody knows everything, right? But that Not doesn't mean all. you can't try to know it, you know, and get with experts. You know, and I, you're right. When you start talking to someone who isn't into music or doesn't know that much into it, you can't go real deep and they do start, you know, rolling their eyes like, okay, you know, whatever. But that's why we love this show. We want to capture these moments. Brian, this has been so much fun. Love to do it again. We want to have you back on to Ugly American Werewolf sometime. We can dive into an album together or something that that'd be fun to do. But before let's, uh, let's, why don't you tell the people out there where to find Wide Weekly Mixtape, where to find you on socials, all that kind of stuff. Sure thing. It's pretty easy. My Weekly Mixtape is the name of the show. MyWeeklyMixtape.com is the website where everything's held. And I am on all the social media channels at my weekly mixtape. 
I am the solo operator of the show. I am the host. I am the social media team. I am the marketing team. I am the customer service department. Uh, if you reach <laughs> out and you listen to the show, you email me. I am the one responding. I love talking music with people. It's truly my pastime, and it's truly something I love doing. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to come on here and talk music. Anytime you want to dive deep into an album, you just let me know what I could pick from a list, and we'll make it happen. It's been a pleasure, and I would love to have you guys come on and try to build a mixtape with me at some point this year as well. Awesome. Yeah, we love that. No, yeah, you've got a cool show. It's a great concept. So I'm like, yeah. I mean, I remember when we used to make mixtapes when we lived together in college, you know. And I'm like, God, it's been a long time. That was since that was I a did big, that. But that was a big responsibility though, because it was the it was the songs, but it was also the order. You had to get it just right. Yes. And, oh and yeah. Because once, right. once you were done, that was it. You couldn't mess with it after that. So and you were right. judged. Afterwards. And it's easy to make a list of songs. Anyone can do that. But to put them in an order that provides the right ebbs and flows mm -hmm. to whether you're hanging out talking or it's a party or are you going jogging or, you know, what, you know, what's the point of the tape? Usually it's for a drive. That's important. If there's an art form to it and some of it's very subtle. Yes. And that is what we try to bring back to because put it this way. When I was growing up. If I made a mixtape for a girlfriend and I handed her a 90-minute mixtape, she knows my boyfriend just spent four hours of his life putting this <laughs> together. Least. I could give you a four-hour playlist in about 12 seconds. Yeah. So What's that? The, you know? the mindset behind crafting your own story through a bunch of different songs is gone. And I'm trying to bring that back hmm. into playlisting. Instead of just taking 50 songs, throwing them on a playlist and hitting shuffle, I'm trying to bring back the concept of the thought process behind mixtapes, but applying it to making playlists that you put on your phone. And that's the story and concept behind the show, as well as when I am lucky enough to bring the artists on, either I'm making a mixtape of their music with the artists, so it's a fan-slash-artist approach, meaning you're sitting there as a kid making the ultimate Huey Lewis in the News mixtape, and you're putting all the songs together. I had the opportunity to have Bill Gibson sit across from me and say, okay, you went with this song, I'm going to go with this song. And there it went from fan to artist, from fan to artist. Yeah. And it created this really fun dynamic. So to me, it's all about the mindset behind the songs you like and why you enjoy them and why they belong in the order they belong. And that's the yes. kind of the science behind the show. Mm. And see, and, my thing is like, I, I'm even if it's a song I don't like, if you can talk me into it, if you can explain why, then it's oh, okay. I, I can see why that I can see why that works there for you. Yes, like we had people when I was designing the show format. I was talking to a bunch of friends, and they're like, "Why don't you do like vetoes and you know striking out songs?" I said, "Nah." I said because I'm sitting across from Bill Gibson of Huey Lewis in the News. If he picks a song, and I go, "You know what, Vito," I, I'm never getting him back on the show right. again. So right. no, we're not right. doing vetoes. <laughs> right. Well, and, and he picked it for a reason. That's the thing. Yes. Like just because you don't particularly yeah. Like let's hear that the story song. why he picked right. it. You know. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's why your show is better than, I mean, look, I'm sure that if I go down and say, Alexa, play me 50 Blues Traveler songs, she can do it. 
but it'll be based on most downloaded or most played or mm-hmm. the highest on the chart or whatever. It's not going to have any soul to it. It's not going to have, this is big because I listened to this with my girlfriend right after dad died, or this is big because they opened with it the first time I ever saw them. And that's, you know, why it's on here. Not just like, this is their most popular. This is their second most popular. This is their third most. You know, that's what's that? Yeah, anybody could do that with any artist right now. So it almost gets me annoyed when people, when I they say, give me an artist to look up and I send them a playlist and they say, why are you doing that? Why not just, I could just Google, the, I could just Google or Spotify the name. I said, because then you're just going to hear the top songs and not every artist is defined by their most popular hits. Mm, that's right. They're, like, I understand that Blues Traveler And one other thing I will say about the show I went to, they did not play all of the hits. They did play the twisted. They didn't play hook. They didn't play hook. They didn't have to. And to me, that was another mind blowing experience. So to be able to pluck from obscurity, some of these album tracks that really resonate with me and give you a different flavor of the band. That's what I can do that an algorithm can't being a fan and introducing those songs mm-hmm. to, to somebody that doesn't know them. Yes. So like people, some of my listeners actually say to me, I don't know a thing about this band you're doing this week, but I'm going to listen and based on your stories, go to the website and listen to the playlist afterwards. To, and so people actually use because when I'm done with an episode, I embed the playlist on my website. Nice. So people listen to the episode and then listen to the quote unquote soundtrack to hear what was just discussed. And yeah. it kind of gives it that like breaking the fourth wall moment after you listen. That's cool. Deeper dive. Yeah. No, you're doing good work there, my friend. We appreciate it. Godspeed on my weekly mixtape and stay in touch. Uh, I have a feeling we have a lot of conversations in the future. Likewise. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you gentlemen tonight. Thank, Thank you, you for so having much. me. Well, that is why we're doing this first Concert Memories sidecast every month, ladies and gentlemen. Brian Colburn's story of seeing Blues Traveler in New York City, his first concert in the city after 9-11, and the emotion of being amongst people again, and smiling, and laughing, and dancing, and maybe having a drink, having a good time, forgetting about the horrors for just a little while. That's the power of this rock and roll music that we love. And these are the kind of stories that we're trying to capture with this show. Brian, we can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing those memories with us here on First Concert Memories. And it really didn't have a whole lot to do with Blues Traveler, who's a great band. Band been going for, what, 35 years or so now, at least. Fans all over the world, lots of albums. But it wasn't even so much about them as it was the experience of the people in the audience, what the crowd was going through. And at that time, yeah, they were all going through something similar. It's not always that way at a rock concert. People are always going through different things. You don't know what's going on in their lives. But at that time, yeah, everyone's going through the same thing to some degree. And rock music helped people lighten their load a little bit, forget about their problems, take their mind off the epic worry that had troubled them for months. Can't thank Brian enough. You should definitely check out my weekly mixtape. He's got another great one, Playlist Wars. It's on hiatus for right now, but he'll come back to it again. You can find it. And I want you to let us know. You contact us at UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. You let us know the bands and the stories that you want to hear about. If you've got a great story, hey, let us know. This is such a cool format. It works for journalists. It works for podcasters. It works for artists. It works for fans. It works for anyone whose life was changed or affirmed because they saw 
a rock show. So thanks as always for listening. Make sure you download and subscribe to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you're thinking about it, guys, please go out and give us a five-star review. This story is epic. I know a lot of people would love to hear it. So no matter where you get it, where you download, no matter where you subscribe, please go give us a five-star review. Encourage people to listen to the show. It helps grow our show, helps find more rock and rollers like you, and hopefully we can find some more great rock and roll stories like Brian's. Thanks as always to Pantheon Podcast, and thanks to our sponsor, rarevinyl.com, where you can save 10% on checkout when you use code UGLY. It's going to be hard to top that one, but we're sure going to try. And to everyone out there, Keep going to see live music. It's the best way to keep rock alive. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.